But if you are here for the very first time, my name is Ron Cool, and I'm one of the pastors here as well, and it's a joy to welcome all of you here, and, and actually kind of a, a welcome back to those of you who've been uh, at other places or camping a lot this summer or gone. Uh, it's good to kind of have this one of those fun Sundays to see folks, some folks again, and so uh, it's good uh, to be together again with the family of God. This morning, I want to think with you about a word that, uh, that we don't like very much uh, in our culture, but also many of us individually. It's not the worst word that you can say, but it is, I think in some ways in our culture, this is a, uh, it's a naughty word, right? Judge, judge, because if there's one thing you're not supposed to do, you're not supposed to judge anybody. You're not supposed to decide whether somebody else was right or somebody else was wrong. And if you, uh, you know, just kind of look around, you'll see this all over the place. You got some examples for you. I mean, you, you don't judge, just, just love, right? I mean, why, why, why do you have to judge everybody? Just love everybody. And, and you can kind of understand that. This one is uh, becoming fairly popular. Don't judge others because they sin differently than you. Okay, don't judge others just because their sins are different. Don't judge. Behind every person, there's always a reason why they are the way they are. It's hard to find the word judge without don't before it, right? Don't judge people. You never know what kind of battle they are fighting. And so over and over again, our our culture is sending us a message, and, and I can understand it resonates with me, right? Don't judge. Don't judge don't judge. Sometimes people have a little fun with this, all right? You know, best friends don't judge each other. They, they judge other people together. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the way it is. Um, one that's important to me, don't judge folks uh, by their relatives. Um, you know, don't judge me by my relatives, uh, right? We don't want to kind of get thrown into that. And then the classic, perhaps you've seen it before, Big Bird at Kentucky Fried Chicken, don't judge me, bro. I mean, you know, come on, come on. This is not the way it looks, right? I mean, it's just, right, in our culture, judging is something that, that nice people don't do. It's something that, that good people don't do. We don't, we don't judge. And, and the fact is, is, as Christians, we ought to take that seriously. Uh, I don't think it's as famous as John 3.16, but I wonder if the second most familiar passage to people, even non-Christians in our world, is Matthew 7, verse 1 where Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. I gave it to you in King James there, right? But I mean, people know that, that Jesus said, judge not, judge not. And, and we need to take that really seriously. I mean, Jesus warns us about this. And so, yeah, it's a word that we don't like very much, that, that judgment word. We don't like being judged. And, and, and I think it's true. We really don't like to judge others. You know, in some ways we, we do, and in some ways we do that a lot. But on the other hand, you know, it really comes down to it. Do you, you know, I mean, if you say, I, I, you have to decide whether this person keeps her job or not. You want to make that judgment? I don't want to make that judgment. I don't want to, I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to be responsible for judging. There, there, there's something in us that doesn't like judgment. And, and that's okay. But the fact is the Bible talks about judgment a lot. And it tells us not to judge, but it says to us that God is going to judge. The fact is, the Bible makes clear, I don't think there's any way around it, the Bible makes clear that someday Jesus Christ is going to come back, and there will be a day of judgment. There will be a day of judgment that on that day, and, and, and again, you, can, you start to get nervous, but on that day, all of creation, every human being who's ever lived is going to stand before God, and there is going to be judgment day. And there are going to be some who are found wanting and some who are welcomed into the kingdom of God for eternity. Judgment is a reality. And so even though we don't like the word judge, even though we don't like to think about judgment all the time, even though we can get uncomfortable with it, we need to talk about it partially because as we go through 1 Peter, uh, we're at a place where Peter talks about it. Uh, If you've been with us at all this summer, you know we've been working our way through the first Peter, the first 
letter of Peter uh, that we know is 1 Peter. And we're up to chapter 4 now. Peter's been talking to some Christians who are facing a lot of pressure. That's why we're calling the series Under Pressure. But the pressure to conform, to be like everybody else, the temptations they face in that, but also just the pressure of life. That life is difficult and there are challenges and difficulties and bills and, and, and sicknesses and death and, and broken relationships and all these sorts of things going on. And, and now Peter comes to them at this point, First Peter 4 verse 12, and, and he starts to talk to them. And he says, one of the things to think about when you're going through a struggle is to recognize that this is part of God's judgment that it's part of God's judgment. Let's, let's look at this. First Peter 4, 12 through 19. Peter writes this. Interesting where he starts. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on, to te- on you to test you. Do not be surprised. I mean, it's just fascinating to me to think about that. Peter says, what do you expect? You live in a broken world. You live in a world where, where people are not always a friend of God's grace. And so when you go through a difficult time, if somebody gives you a hard time, don't be surprised, Okay. Don't be shocked at what you're going through. But he says, actually rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. We've talked about that already. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now this next part again is something we've talked about. He says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. God is with us when we are struggling for Jesus. But he says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, okay? And then these words. Peter says, you know what? Praise God. It's okay. Don't be surprised. Why? For it is time for judgment to begin. And that's really going to be the key phrase that I want to pick up on. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. So we're going to talk about that. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So it's also judgment for those who are outside of Christ. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, if we go through difficulties, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? What will be the difficulties and the troubles they face? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves. We should commit ourselves to our faithful creator and to continue to do good. So really, that's the words I want to pick up on. Those are the words I want to pick up on. For it is time for the judgment to begin. Peter says that that when you're going through these struggles, when you're going through trials, when you're going through temptations, when you're going through fiery ordeals, recognize that part of what's happening here, part of what's happening here is it's a reminder and a sign and it's part of God's judgment. That judgment that's going to come on judgment day, but that also, he says, has started already. So I want to think about that. And I actually, before I talk talk about what Peter says, I want to make two preliminary comments. Because whenever we talk about this thing called judgment, I think we need to be, well, the first comment I want to make is that we as Christians need to be very humble when speaking about God's judgments, okay? When we talk about this topic, this is one that we should be very careful, very thoughtful. I think we need to recognize that, that, that Christians, when we talk loosely about God's judgment as if it's just some of the, sort of this awesome thing that, that, that we get to see people get sent to hell, it's this awesome thing where we're finally those bad people are going to get it, you know, th- th- we lose something. And we've got to recognize that's not God's heart. God recognizes that judgment is good, and there's kind of a dynamic here that we're going to look at, all right? So on the one hand, judgment is good, but there's also something about judgment that is deeply painful. You you see, one of the things I think we need to recognize about being humble is, is that we should not be happy or excited that people will be judged and found wanting. As I say, I think that the, the, I don't know how to read the Bible another way. 
But I think the Bible makes it clear that there will be a judgment day, and on that judgment day, there will be people who will have said to God, I will not bend the knee. And God will say to them, have it your way. And God will say to them, if you want to live eternity without me, you may do that, and that's hell. That's gonna, they're going to experience life completely without God, and that's the struggle, that's suffering, that's hell. And, 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 and I believe that that reality is, is going to happen. But what bothers me is when Christians talk about that and say, awesome. You know, Rob Bell wrote a book a couple of years ago called Love Wins, and while there are some significant questions about the book, I was actually more disturbed by the reaction to the book than I was by the book itself. What I was really disturbed about was the number of Christians who were like, this isn't fair. If there's no hell, there's no point. If there's no hell, this isn't good. If this, this is just terrible. And, and they were more upset that somebody wasn't going to be in hell than they were that Rob Bell said everybody's going to heaven. Now, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches, so I think he's wrong. But in a sense, we all ought to want that, right? In, in a sense, I, I mean, I, I don't like the idea of, of there having to be hell. I don't like the idea of somebody forever saying to God, I don't want you, Okay. And it ought to break our hearts. And God doesn't like it either. You know, sometimes I think we we look at it and we say, well, on judgment day, God will be really happy because he finally gets to kick those people into hell. God will not take any joy in kicking somebody into hell. Okay, look at Ezekiel 18, verse 32. I could do this with a lot of passages. Ezekiel 18, verse 32 says this. God is speaking, for I take no pleasure in the death of anyone declares the sovereign Lord, repent and live. God says, I do not. Now, there's a reason God has to bring judgment. There is a reason that judgment day is also ultimately good. But God knows that there's a part of it that absolutely God hates. <laughs> there's a part of it that God doesn't want to do. He, he, he does want to, but there's a part of it that, because he doesn't want to see anybody die. He doesn't want to see anybody just eternally be lost. Peter himself, in, in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord, he says, is not slow in keeping his promise for Jesus to come again. He is not slow in keeping his promise, as, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Why? Why is Jesus not back yet? Because God doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance, okay? God is waiting because he doesn't, there's a part of God that doesn't want to bring that judgment, Okay, there's a part of God that doesn't want to, to have to do that he, he, because these are people created in his image. And as Christians, when I hear somebody talk about God's judgment and sort of say, isn't it going to be just perfect? Yes, it will be right, it will be true, and it will be good. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's going to be the second thing I talk about in my preliminary stuff. But it's also deeply sad It's also deeply sad, and it ought to break our hearts. This is part of the reason why we do Alpha. You know, that's part of the reason why we encourage you to bring folks, because because we don't want to see anybody perish. Because we really do believe that it matters. We really do believe that, that what one does with Jesus Christ is the most fundamental and important question every person on planet Earth faces. And our heart should be like God. Some of you are familiar with the end of the book of Jonah. We know the first part where Jonah gets thrown in the whale and he gets spit up again, you know. But at the end of that book, there's a scene where Jonah uh, has a plant grow over him and then God has the plant wither. And Jonah gets all ticked off that this plant died, okay? And God says, Jonah, what is up with that? Well, you get all upset about a plant. And you didn't care about Nineveh. And I've got hundreds of thousands of people there were created in my image whom I love. Why don't you care about them? And, and, and so we need to be humble 
Because God's judgment, while in one sense it's ultimately a good thing, is also a deeply painful thing, and we need to recognize that. The other reason we ought to be humble in this is that we don't know exactly how God's judgment is going to go. We're going to come back to this again a little bit later. But, but, but the fact is the Bible makes clear over and over and over again that that judgment day, on that judgment day, there are going to be some surprises. There are going to be some people who said, here I am, Jesus, and he's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. And there are going to be some people who said, I'm in trouble, and Jesus is going to say, no, I know you. You come in. And, and, and so when we talk about judgment day, we've got to be real careful about thinking we know everything about who's going to go where. The fact is, I don't. The Bible makes it clear, I can't see in anybody's heart, and neither can you. In the Old Testament, there's a story about when Samuel, the prophet, he goes out and and he needs to anoint a new king, and he sees Eliab, the oldest brother. He's tall, he's good-looking. Well, uh, he's like me. Uh, No, just kidding, just kidding. and, And Samuel's like, this is the one, right? This is the guy, and this is what God says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God's judgments are not our judgments. And so that's part of the reason Jesus says you don't have to worry about judging everybody. You don't have to worry about deciding who's in heaven and who's in hell, okay? You don't have to decide that. God will take care of that. And we don't know. Jesus himself says, uh, talks, uh, John tells us this about Jesus in John 2, verses 24 and 25. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them with some people around him who wanted him to, to go with them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Okay? Jesus knows everybody's heart. I don't. Okay? Jesus knows everybody's story. I don't. And the fact is, I don't know how that judgment day is going to go. Now, the Bible tells us some things we need to speak where the Bible speaks. It tells us in Christ we're safe, so we call people to that. But when we spend too much time telling everybody we know who's in Christ and who's not, we got to be a little careful, friends, because that day is a day of surprises. And so uh, that's that first comment there of, of, of we as Christians need to be very humble when speaking about God's judgments, okay? We don't know how it's all going to go. And, and there is something deeply painful about that day. We need to have that humbleness and that, and that carefulness. Second thing I want to say by way of preliminary comment here is this, that in the Bible, God's judgments are necessary things. Like I say, there's a part of God that doesn't want to bring judgment day. There's a part of God that doesn't want to do that. But there's another part of God that recognizes God needs to. And God's judgments are ultimately good. And I want to suggest that that even all of us when we say don't judge and even we could say well wouldn't it be nice if God never judged wouldn't it be nice if there was never a judge and there was never a judgment day the fact is we really don't want that we really do want there to be a judgment day let me tell you why I say that we live in a broken world okay that's why there has to be a judgment day we live in a world where there is cancer and the job of a cancer cell is to destroy and to kill and 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 to take away the lives of people we love we live in a world where there is child abuse. We live in a world where there is child abuse, and it just kills me. We live in a world where there are deadly car accidents. We live in a world where there's hatred and selfishness and broken relationships and all sorts of bad things, okay? We live in a broken world. And what Judgment Day is, What Judgment Day is all about, the reason why God says this must happen, is that on Judgment Day, God's judgment is God saying enough. 
what God is going to finally come back. When Jesus comes back, the New Testament says he comes with a shout. Now, I don't know what he's going to shout, but I have a feeling I heard somebody suggest it once, and it just grabs me that what he's going to shout is enough. Enough pain, enough sin, enough cancer, enough car accidents, enough divorce, enough brokenness, enough hurt, enough betrayal, enough adultery, enough of all that. It's time to put an end to it. I mean, we want to live in a world without cancer. We want to live in a world without child abuse. We want to live in a world without these things. And what God's judgment day is saying, those things are done. You see, here's, here's something I don't think our world understands. The alternative to having no judgment Imagine that there was no judgment. The alternative is not just a world of love and acceptance. That's what our world would have you believe, right? That, that if there's no judgment, then we'll all just get along. No, the alternative is not love and acceptance. The alternative is that evil wins. The alternative is that sin wins. The alternative is that we forever spend a world where there is pain and death and brokenness. And so that's why I say, As much as my heart breaks for those who are refusing God's grace, I also do say, come Lord Jesus. Because I want Jesus to remove all of those things that are bad in this world and that are ultimately bad in my own heart. And so we say, God, come and and, and make all things new. One of the ways to kind of think about it is to is to imagine, I don't know, this image came into my mind of just saying, you know, sin is like a leech. And imagine that, you know, bloodsuckers all over your body and 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 they're there. And what God's judgment is saying, I will not allow leeches to to suck the life out of my people forever. I will not allow my creation to have the life sucked out of it by sin. And so God has to judge it. God has to get rid of it so that we can be in that place where there is no more death and no more pain or crying or tears, where all things are made new. And so that's why I say God's judgments are ultimately necessary. Now, the gospel, the good news, what is at the core of what Jesus proclaimed is that we can be found not guilty in Jesus Christ. That as God comes in judgment, the fact is, apart from Christ, when those leeches get taken off, I'm also dead, right? That's the, that's the story. Apart from Christ, what the Bible teaches me is that I am dead in my sin, that I, that I, that I can't have this. But because Jesus Christ, in, in a sense, what he did on the cross is he came and he took all of my sin, all of my leeches, and he put them on himself, and he paid the price so that when it comes to that judgment day, Jesus, his father, will look at me and, and say, not guilty. That's good news. That's the gospel. That's what we preach. That's what Alpha tries to get people to understand, is that we don't have to face judgment day on our own. All right, so those two things. We as Christians need to be humble, and in the Bible, God's judgment are necessary things. They are good things. Now, when we look at First Peter and what Peter is saying about judgment, what, what he's saying is there are three kinds of judgment, okay? And, and we need to think about each one of these. Three kinds of judgment that, that Peter refers to. The first is, is kind of the major judgment, what I would call the, the judgment of those who do not obey, accept, believe the gospel of God. The judgment of those, and this is 417, okay? And I'll, I'll show it to you where it is here. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. Peter says that, that, that we are experiencing and we, we begin the taste of God's judgment. And he says, and, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome? And he's talking about another part of the judgment. Be for those who do not obey. And that word obey is quite often translated accept, believe. It's, it's, it's just receiving God's grace, okay? Who do not obey the gospel of God. And, and so Peter says there is a judgment. There is a judgment for those who refuse to accept God's grace. Now, let me point out a couple of things for you. This is not simply judging all who sin. Understand that. That final judgment is not going to, because that judgment, we're all dead. 
all of us are sinners, and the Bible says all of us are dead. That final judgment, the most important judgment that, that will be there that all of us need to think about, is not based on whether we have sinned. It is based on what we have done with Jesus Christ. The fundamental question that every human being needs to answer is what are we going to do with Jesus Christ? How do we respond to Jesus Christ? What do we do with his offer of salvation? That's why it's interesting. Those who have not obeyed the good news, those who have not accepted the, the God's offer. I, I, I mean, the, the fundamental question is whether we're going to say to God, I want to do it my way or you do it your way. C.S. Lewis talks about this and in his wonderful way I think just captures this. He says there are only two kinds of people in the end. On judgment day, this is from the great divorce, he says there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those who say to God, to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. And the fundamental question that each and every one of us has to ask here is, is have I done that? Have I accepted and obeyed the gospel. Now you can sit here and say, well, that's obvious. Everybody's going to do that. But it's really hard. It's, it's really hard because I want to stand on my own two feet. I will never forget talking to my dad on a day he came home from the hospital. He wasn't there. He was visiting a friend. His friend was 78 years old. Everybody knew he was going to die in the next couple of days. The guy was uh, a self-made man. And he... Uh, <laughs> He was tough. My dad, Moose, said, Moose, you know you're going to die. Yep, I know I'm going to die. I said, Moose, can I pray for you? Because when you die, you're going to meet your maker. And the only safe way to meet your maker is to be in Christ. This guy looked at him two days away from death and said, Press, I lived my whole life on my own two feet, and I'll face Jesus on my own two feet. I'm just going to look him in the eye and say, Give me what I deserve. I'll take whatever you got. Friends, that is not a wise thing to say. None of us can stand. None of us can do that. And so I just want to stop a minute and ask you to take this seriously. Have you accepted the, the, the grace? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you put yourself in Christ? Because someday that judgment is going to happen. Either Jesus is going to come back or you're going to die and you're going to have to make a choice, a fundamental choice about where you're going to stand. Are you going to stand on your own two feet or are you going to stand under the blood of Jesus Christ? And it's the most important decision you'll ever make. It is the most, I know it sounds really fundamental, but it is just, we got to make sure and, and I want to just challenge all of you, and, and maybe especially those of you who are in high school or whatever, to say this is not a joke. This is reality. There are two ways you can go into eternity. In the end, we either say to God, your will be done. And, and I love the way Lewis does that, that God will say to us, fine, have it your way. That's really what God does. He doesn't, in, in a sense, send anybody to hell. He doesn't kick. He just says, fine, if you choose to live without me, I will respect that. And the worst thing God can say to us is have it your way. And that is eternal death. So the judgment of those who do not obey the gospel of God, Peter says, you think it's bad for us, it's going to be worse. And so that's why we've got to be praying and working and looking first at ourselves, but also praying for our neighbors. Again, we don't get obnoxious. We've got to be Christ-like and loving. But there is a judgment coming. Now, the next two kind of judgments are, are judgments that are of the house of God, okay? This, is, this first one is those who are outside the house of God, clearly, and those who are inside the house of God. Now, this is inside the house of God, okay? So the second one is this, and this is the scariest one for me. I'll just tell you right up front. 
to the judgment of those who think they are Christians but are not. The judgment of those who think that they are Christians but are not. One of the scariest things the Bible says is that there are some people who want to claim to be Christians who are thinking they are Christians but they are not. Now, the Bible says a couple of things that we need to think about, and and I'm just going to touch on this first one. We can know we are saved, okay? The Bible talks about this, talks about the assurance of salvation. And uh, in fact, uh, three weeks from today, we're going to start a series looking at, I have a friend who, and and the first one is going to be, I have a friend who struggles with knowing whether she's saved or not. And we're going to talk about, no, we can know that we are saved. We can know that we are in Christ. And so we can know that. We'll look at that in three weeks. But what we have to recognize is somehow they're both true. Sometimes people can deceive themselves. Sometimes people can deceive themselves. I quoted the passage earlier, Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and preach all sorts of sermons in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. And that's scary. <laughs> there are going to be preachers. There are going to be people who did all sorts of stuff. They said, Jesus, look at all that I did for you. And he's going to say, you didn't do that for me. And I don't want to hear those words. I mean, I tell you, I honestly, I, I, I don't want to, like, overly upset people but the fact is this is a really really scary idea and that's what peter is talking about in first peter 4 verse 12 he says dear friends do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you i think peter had jesus words in mind when he wrote that to test you because when the new testament uses those words to test you what it's talking about is is to test if your faith is real to see if it's the genuine article to see if it is the real stuff and and, and so there's a place where where there's a judgment of those who who think that they are Christians but are really not. And I don't want to be there. And so at this place, the first thing I want you to do is is to ask that question, have I been found in Christ? But this one I want to think about asking you to make a prayer, to to pray a prayer that I, I pray on occasion. It goes like this. God, if I'm playing games with my faith, please do something to wake me up. It's a dangerous prayer. It's a dangerous prayer, but I think it's a really important one because I don't want to be a person who gets to the end of time and, and, and is told by God, Ron, you never really believed in me. You never really, you never really tested yourself. You never really found out. You never really trusted me. So I say, God, show me. God, send enough challenges. Now, if you're like me, you pray this prayer and you say, God, let's start with small, not two-by-fours. Don't hit me over the head with that. Let's start with smaller challenges, but wake me up. You see, the, the reason Peter talks about this testing is that Peter knows that it's one thing. It's one thing to profess my faith in front of a congregation. You know, I love the way we do profession of faith here. Don't get me wrong, but we've done it. And, and you know, the young people get up here and they give a testimony and they say, I believe in Jesus, and what do we do? We clap and we applaud and we say, and that's great. But it's one thing to say you believe in Jesus when everybody's going to applaud. It's another thing to say you believe in Jesus when you're going to lose your job. Right? That testing helps us to see whether our faith is real. It's one thing to say I believe in Jesus when it doesn't cost me anything, but it's another thing to to say I believe in Jesus when it costs me a relationship or maybe my life. I know one of the young people from this church, older now, um, actually married to somebody else, but it was a very serious relationship. And, and this might sound odd, but this is a situation. He was, a, he was somebody who had professed his faith, somebody who had made a Christian commitment. And he said, you know, it was easy for me to profess my faith in front of church. A little nervous about standing in front of everybody. He said, but you know what the biggest challenge was for me? 
He said, I was dating this girl, and we were really getting along well. I assumed someday I would marry her. And he said, she, she really put the pressure on me to say, we've got to move in together. I mean, I, if, if you're not willing to sleep with me now, then I don't want to be with you. Honestly, that's what... He said, then I had to decide, do I really believe in Jesus? <laughs> Is my faith real? And he said, see ya, and walked away. See, it's one thing to say I believe in Jesus when it doesn't cost me anything. It's another thing when it costs me a relationship that looks pretty good at the time. <laughs> when it costs me that. That's where, in a sense, Peter is saying these trials have some value to them. There's something good about them because they help me to see. And that's where I say this prayer, saying, God, God, I don't want, to, I don't want my fake, faith to be fake. So, so if you have to do something to wake me up, God, if you have to do something to show me, if you have to do something to, to make me make that decision for you, then go ahead, God, and do it. Because I don't want to be found wanting on that day. All right? So that's that second kind of judgment, and we need to be real serious about the judgment of those who think they are Christians but are not. And then that testing is there partially to help us know that we are Christians, to help us know that we are Christ followers. And then the third kind of judgment is the judgment of Christians itself, of of, of Christian ourselves. And this is not whether we're in or out, but this is judgment that comes to purify us. And and, and again, 1 Peter 4 verse 12 says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Okay? And, And again, throughout the New Testament, that fiery ordeal is not just to test whether we're in or out, but that fiery ordeal is also there to purify us. And, and almost all the Bible commentators I read this week suggested that what Peter had in mind were these words from the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 3. It says this, you know, they were talking about, oh, God's going to come back, oh, glorious day, oh, glorious day. But then Malachi says this, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he, that is God, will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And so part of what's going on here, when Peter says these things that are trials, these things that are testing, part of what they're doing is, in a sense, is, is, is they're removing those leeches, okay? They're, they're pulling these things away. You see, the fact is, it, it, it's not just the world that's broken, but I am broken. And the bad in me needs to be removed, not just forgiven, okay? I, I need to be not just forgiven, but I need to be made new, and I need to go through the fires, the images, you know, you've probably, you know, seen this someplace or whatever, but, but you put something in a fire and what happens? All the bad stuff burns off, right? You put silver in and it gets more pure. You put gold in a fire and, and the bad stuff, the, the stuff that isn't pure gold gets burned off. And what Peter says is that's part of what this fire ordeal is about. It's about God burning off those things that don't belong to him so that we can become what he wants us to become. The fact is there are there are just parts of me that I still really don't like that are sinful, that are selfish, that are self-centered. And I just say, God, I want you to remove those things. But again, that's a dangerous prayer because it's not easy to go into the fire. It's not easy to go through those fiery ordeals. It's not easy. <laughs> There's a story that's told. I don't know if this story is actually true, but the point it makes is. Uh, I read it on the internet, so it's supposed to be true, right? So, but... It's a story of a, a woman who wanted to learn more about silver refinement. So she went to a silversmith. She watched as, as he put that silver into the hottest part of the fire and just watched as the impurities came out. And then he pulled it out. And, and this is the part that, that is true, but I don't know if it actually happened. But she supposedly said to him, when do you know it's done? How do you know it's time to take it out of the fire? And the silversmith said to her, 
when I can see myself in it. Right, silver, you can see when I see myself reflected in it. And and the truth of that is that I, I love that picture saying, God, put me through the fire until you can see yourself in me until I reflect you better. That's my passion, Lord, because I believe that that you are the only way to salvation. And so that's where I say again, God, I want you to judge me because I want you to to just remove anything that gets in the way of people seeing you through me because the most important thing in the world is for them to see you, God. And so, God, if it takes going into the fire, if it takes going into the fire, then do that. And so once again, here is a prayer. Um, and this one comes from Psalm 139. Again, the first question that, that I ask you to ask today is, am I in Christ or not? Have I accepted that? The second prayer is, Lord, if, if I'm doing something, if I'm playing games with my faith, then show it to me. Look at this as a third prayer out of this about ju- God's judgment. Search me, God, and know my heart. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is anything offensive in me, any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a dangerous prayer again to say, God, God, I want to be the husband you want me to be. I want to be the dad you want me to be. I want to be the neighbor. I want to be the pastor that you want to be. So God, whatever it takes for you to purify my heart, then do that. God, I know you've forgiven me, but I want so much to be able to reflect you. And so send me through that fiery ordeal if that's what's necessary. And so those are the three kind of judgments that Peter kind of has in mind here when he says it's time for judgment to begin. It's, it's for those who are in Christ or not, those who have accepted God's grace or not. It's for those who pr- think they're Christians but are not. But ultimately, it's for all of us who are Christians to be refined. And so as we close, I just want to say, you know, judgment day is coming. It's something we just assume not talk about. But the fact is, it's coming. And the question you've got to ask yourself this morning is this, are you ready? Are you ready? And that's the most important question there is. Let's pray together. Father, we don't like this whole judgment thing. We just kind of want peace, love, and understanding. And we just want everybody to get along. But Lord, we also want an end to sin and death and cancer and car accidents and all those things. So we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come first to us and purify us so that we can bear witness. And Father, we pray for friends, for neighbors, for family members who right now seem to be, as far as we can tell, saying no to you, who seem to be running away and walking away from you. And Father, we just pray that you will be at work at their hearts. We, we don't know what's going on, but we just pray that you will be at work in their hearts so that they will genuinely and passionately receive your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of blessing? So again, following our service, there are going to be some folks from Hillside gathered there in the prayer room to that side of the auditorium. If you'd like to talk with somebody or pray with somebody, uh, if you want to talk and pray about some Alpha folks, there are going to be some folks gathered in the room, the conference room, across from the kitchen and, and praying for those who, who need to know Christ. People of God, as you go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. And may we, may we indeed put our faith and be found in Jesus. Go in grace. Amen.